All right, Acts chapter 1, verses, uh, we're going to go through the first nine verses of, of, these, of the first chapter of Acts. So we've been looking at these various accounts in the Gospels and now in the book of Acts of Jesus' appearance to his disciples before his ascension. We're one week away from Pentecost, and today we're going to look at the final encounter Jesus had with his disciples before he ascended to the Father. And in this encounter, in this appearing to his disciples, Jesus commands his disciples to not depart Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. The wait was temporary. But the wait is over, and the work is begun. And that's the important thing we need to realize. The wait is over, and the work is begun. Acts chapter 1 Beginning in verse 1, the former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his sufferings by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized you with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Father, we thank you for the gospel of Christ. We thank you for the good news that the wait is over. The spirit has been poured out on all flesh and our work has begun. And you have commanded us to do this work and you've given us the power to do it. The power to be witnesses to you. Father, we ask that you would empower us, that you would remind us every day that everything we do, even the most mundane, trivial task is a task, is a thing that we do either as a witness for you or as a witness for our sin and our rebellion and our bad attitude and our frustrations. Father, help us to be a people that walk in your glory, that walk in your ways, that walk in your power, that we would be a people to give witness to you that you would be glorified through your church in this world. And Father, we thank you that we are your people by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And you have given us this privilege, this grace to be your witnesses. May we do it to your glory and may we know the blessing, the blessing it is to be called your own. In Jesus' name, amen. So, here it says that 
Luke writes, until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So Jesus was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to his apostles, to his disciples. And Jesus gave commandments through the Holy Spirit before he was taken up. Jesus commands his disciples today. Who are his disciples today? We're reading in the book of Acts about an account that happened 2,000 plus years ago. Does Jesus still have disciples today? I know you know the answer to that. Yes, of course he does. Did the commandments Jesus gave to his disciples then apply to his disciples now? Yes, they absolutely do. And Jesus commands his disciples the same way today that he commanded his disciples then when he walked the earth. He commands his disciples through the Holy Spirit. All Jesus said and did was according to the leading of the Holy Spirit. This is a picture of the triune Godhead working in perfect harmony. Jesus did all things according to the Father's will through the Holy Spirit. This is still how the Father This is still how the Father's will is done today. So the Father's will is not completed. The Father's will is still being carried out through the body of Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit. We are the body of Christ in the world today. Jesus ascended to heaven, but his body is here. His presence is here. Christ is in you by the Holy Spirit. This is the miracle of this. This is the the amazing gift that God has given to us. He has poured out his spirit. He has put his spirit in you. That's why you can be called a new creation. That's why you can be called born again. That's why the old has passed away and behold, all things have become new. It doesn't mean that you're perfect. It doesn't mean that you can't make mistakes. It doesn't mean that you can't be rebellious. You can't be disobedient because you can be, but why do you want to be? And when you find yourself in that situation, what do you do? Do you run away from God or do you run to God? Do you run away from his grace or do you run to his grace? Confess your sin and say, God, help me. God, change me. God, empower me to walk in obedience to your word and to your spirit. That is the grace of God. He's given us He's given us that grace. He commanded his disciples to be witnesses to him. We are his witnesses today. He has commanded us to preach the gospel with our words and with our life. We are to make Christ known, not only in word, but in deed. Christ must not only be heard, Christ must be seen, and ultimately Christ must be experienced. And how is Christ known? How is Christ seen? How is he heard? How is he experienced? Well, it could be while you're working on a fence. It could be while you're swimming in a pond. 
It could be while you're shopping at HEB. It could be while you're standing behind a podium preaching the gospel at Christ Fellowship Church. It could be as you sit with a friend and pray with them and witness to them about the hope they have in Jesus. It could be as you're washing dishes. It could be as you're changing diapers. It could be as you're mowing the grass. It could be in any number of things that we do every day. Don't compartmentalize your life into spiritual, secular, fun, work. Listen, we belong to Jesus. Everything we do, we do in Jesus. If you belong to Jesus, if you're born again, everything you do, you do in Jesus. You don't get to pick and choose what you do in him and what you don't do in him. You don't get to pick and choose and say, well, now I'm going to do this for me. Jesus, you just stay over here for just a moment and let me go do this. Just me, Jesus, I want you to stay there. I'm going to go do this, and when I'm done, I'll come back to you. It doesn't work that way. In him, you live and move and have your being. If you're in Christ, you can't, you can't be separated from him. You can't, you can't ignore him. Well, you can, but you can't make him leave. He doesn't leave. He is present all the time. And how we do everything gives witness to him. We need to get out of this mentality that giving witness to Christ is only when I've got my Bible, only when I'm talking to someone about Jesus specifically, only when I'm thinking about spiritual things. Everything is spiritual. Washing dishes is spiritual. Fixing a fence is spiritual. Changing a diaper is spiritual. Eating food is spiritual. What is not spiritual? Everything we have, God has given to us. The very world, the very creation we live in, it came from him. It's for us. It's for his glory. We should be mindful in all things that we do. Jesus gave commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. Jesus told his disciples, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And Jesus still is choosing disciples today. He chose you, that's why you're his disciple. Jesus is still commanding the disciples whom he chooses through his word and by his spirit. John 6, 36 through 40. Jesus, the words of Jesus, but I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. Listen, you can say, I see Jesus, I know Jesus. Jesus said, I say to you who have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the ones who come to me, I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Guess why we're here? We're here to do his will. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that all he has given me, of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Jesus goes on and in verse 65 and 66. He said, therefore, I said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. If you can choose to walk with God, then you can choose to walk away from God. 
you can choose to not walk with him. But if the Father chooses you to walk with him, you, you will never walk away from him. You won't leave him. And his promise to you is he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. We as believers never, ever have to worry about whether God is going to leave us, whether God is going to forsake us. His word is clear. His promise is true. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He will keep you safe and secure and growing in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Seek to see him. Seek to believe him, to trust him. Press into Jesus. Trust him, love him, and know that you are his. He bought you. You are not your own anymore. Now, we don't like that. Because we like to own ourselves. We like to, and we talk about, we say this, you need to own that. Oh, you're bad. You need to go ahead and own that. But, but listen, you are not the owner of your life if you have been redeemed by Jesus. Jesus owned you. And we might as well deal with that and, and get over it. Because this is not a, this is not a 50-50 partnership. This is not a 80-20 partnership. This is not a 90-10. This is not a 99-1. This is not a 99.99.001 partnership. We're not in partnership with Jesus. Jesus died for you. Jesus shed his blood for you. Jesus redeemed you. Jesus owned you. He owns me. And sometimes it's a painful reminder to be reminded that I am not my own. I belong to Jesus. And if you think being your own and doing your own thing when you want to do it, how you want to do it, whatever you want to do, whenever you want to do it, if you think that is a good life, that might be pleasurable for a while, but you're going to find out sooner or later that that is hell. That is hell on earth, and it will only lead to an eternity in hell. But when we accept this reality that Jesus owns us and we begin to live our lives in that manner, in that way, giving witness to him as the redeemer of our life, as the savior of our soul. When we begin to walk in obedience to Jesus, we begin to walk in a blessing that we can get no other way in this world and in this life. Jesus presented himself alive being seen by them during 40 days. Luke tells us it was 40 days from the resurrection to the ascension. And during those 40 days, however many times, there's, there's, there are these accounts recorded for us. However many more, I don't know. But these accounts are recorded for us in the scripture. For 40 days after his resurrection until his ascension, Jesus presented himself alive with many infallible proofs, the scripture says. 
To those disciples he chooses, those granted to him by his Father, he reveals himself and gives them eyes to see by faith. If you can see Jesus today, and I'm not talking about physical sight, if you can see Jesus today, if you're trusting Jesus today, if you love God with all your heart today, it's because God has given you eyes to see him and a heart to trust him. If you are trusting in Jesus today, you can know that God chose you. He did not choose you because you are good. He did not choose you because you are talented. He did not choose you because you can do special things for him. He did not choose you because of anything about or within you. And that's true for all of us. He chose you simply because he chose to. He saved you because he chose to save you. He loved you because he chose to love you. We don't deserve his salvation. We don't deserve his love. We don't deserve his grace. But he has given to us what we do not deserve. It is by grace. It is his will that gives us a will to trust him. He chose us. He loved us first. 1 John 4, 19. We love him because he first loved us. People sometimes ask me, how do I know I'm saved? How do I know? And I'll always ask them, do you love Jesus? Yes, I love Jesus. If you love Jesus, you can know you are saved because the scripture says, we love him because he first loved us. The only way you can love Jesus is because he loves you. In his grace, he saves us. So it is from his love given to us by grace that we love him and trust him and have boldness in him. In Christ, we have boldness for as he is, so are we in this world. That is how the Father sees us That is how the Father knows us. That is his undeserved grace given to us in Jesus Christ. And Jesus, as he appears to his disciples, as he is speaking to them, the scripture says he's speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. During those 40 days, Jesus was preparing his disciples for his departure. He had prepared them for the work, and now he would empower them by his spirit to do that work. Jesus began his earthly ministry proclaiming the kingdom of God. His disciples would now carry on that work preaching and teaching and proclaiming the kingdom of God through the gospel of Christ. When did that work end? Has the church completed that work? No. That work is ongoing. When will that work end? Who tells us when the work is done? Jesus. Now, Jesus was on the cross, and he says, it's finished. Our redemption, we're not working for our redemption. We're not working for our salvation. We're not working to to earn and gain God's love and favor. We have that by grace. Jesus commands his disciples to go and to preach the gospel, to be witnesses to him. This is the work that Jesus began, the work of the kingdom. Mark 
1, 14 and 15. Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. That is still the message today. Repent and believe the gospel. The kingdom is at hand. The message of the kingdom of God is still to be proclaimed. The gospel of the kingdom is to be proclaimed until all nations are discipled. This is what Jesus commands his disciples. It's found in Matthew 28. It's what we call the great commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Are all the nations discipled? Jesus did not say, Go therefore and mention my name in every nation and call it good. That's what we want to say today. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, go and make disciples of the nations. So church, I ask you today, have all the nations been discipled? And the answer is no, they have not been. The gospel of the kingdom is to be proclaimed until all the nations are discipled. When the nations are discipled, Jesus will return. And when he returns, he will reign on this earth. Until that day comes, our work is ongoing. Jesus told his disciples then, wait for the promise of the Father because you need power to do this work, power to be my witnesses. The wait for that is over. The wait is over. The Spirit's been poured out. You have the Holy Spirit if you have Jesus, which means you have the power to be a witness to him. You have to walk in that power. Acts chapter 1 verse 4. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. He commanded them not to depart, but to wait for the promise. This waiting was important, for they were waiting for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They were waiting for power. Jesus had already spoken to them concerning the promise of the Father, concerning the Holy Spirit. Now they were to wait until that promise came. And then Jesus says to them in verse 5, Now, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Do you realize up until that time, who was baptized, who was anointed with the Holy Spirit. You go back to the Old Testament scriptures, it was prophets, priests, and kings. Something is getting ready to happen very different than anything that had ever happened before in human history. It was written by the prophets. It was foretold by the prophets. Joel foretold it. We're going to read it next week on the day of Pentecost when we read Joel chapter 2, recorded for us in Acts chapter 2. They were told to go and wait for the promise of the Father, the coming of the Holy Spirit, so that they could be baptized with the Holy Spirit. 
This is the promise given to his disciples as he is preparing to ascend to the Father. This is our promise today. God has given his children the Holy Spirit. It cannot be earned. It can only be gifted. It is given by grace to all, to all, all who belong to him. To be baptized with the Holy Spirit is to be immersed or placed into Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. We have all been made to drink into one Spirit. This is the wonderful promise of the Father that Jesus spoke of. This is the promised gift he gives to all who are his, all who are redeemed by him, all who belong to him. In Christ, we have the spirit and we are to walk in it. Galatians 5.16, Paul writes, I say then walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If we are in Christ, we have received the Holy Spirit. We are to walk immersed in the Spirit's life and power. In Christ, the fruit of the spirit is the mark of, of our life in Christ. The fruit of the Spirit should mark our life inside and out. That is an ongoing work the Spirit is faithful to do and to complete in us. Philippians 1.6. He is faithful to complete the work he has begun in us, even until the day of Jesus Christ. In other words, God will not stop working in your life by his Spirit until you either meet him or he comes to meet you. And the chances are that we're going to meet him long before he comes to meet us on this earth. Acts chapter 1, then he says this, verses 6 and 7. Therefore, so he tells them, go wait for this promise, the promise of the Father. You'll be baptized by the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And he's talking to them about what? Remember, he's talking to them. He's speaking to them about the things pertaining to the kingdom. So the context of all of this is the work of the kingdom. And so his disciples ask him. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. Now we read that. And we automatically think we don't know when Jesus is returning. And that's true, we don't. But I want you to see the greater context here. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel was the question. The question had less to do with the kingdom of God and mostly to do with their immediate desire for an earthly kingdom and relief from their oppressors. The question indicated that they did not understand the plan and purpose of God. They had been with Jesus for some three and a half years and they still did not understand the plan and purpose of God. Guess what? The same is true for us very often. Jesus said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. His disciples then, as well as us today, must be content with the words of Jesus it is not for you to know. Lord, why? God's response, it's not for you to know, to know. Lord, when? His response, it is not for you to know. 
When it happens, you'll know. What about why, Lord? Mm. You may or you may never know. Sometimes you hear people say, well, when we get to eternity, all of our questions will be answered. I don't know if I believe that or not. I think when we get to eternity, when we see Jesus face to face, I think most of our questions won't matter. In a sense, they'll be answered because we'll see Jesus, and they won't matter anymore. Why did this happen to me, Lord? It's not going to matter when you see Jesus because he has made all things right. He has made all things whole. He has made all things new again in him. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus said to them, it's not for you to know. There is a time and a season for all things. The Father has put many things in his own authority. That means that many things are not for us to know. Have you noticed that about life? There are a lot of things that we don't know. And I think this is the way it should work. The longer we live, the more we should realize how little we know. But the longer we live, the longer we live in Christ, the longer we are in Jesus. It should be that what we don't know, many of the things we don't know, don't know really don't matter. We often question God and become angry with him because we cannot discover the answers to our questions. God always knows we do not. Trust in God, not in the answers you're seeking to receive from him. Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which he has revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Here we are back to obedience. God on purpose does not give us the answers to all of our questions, but God on purpose reveals the things that we need to know so that we can be obedient. What has the Lord revealed to us? He has revealed much. He has revealed himself all around us. In fact, Paul writes, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. That's kind of funny to think about it. I think Paul had a sense of humor. God has a sense of humor. He sits in the heavens and he laughs. His invisible attributes are clearly seen so that all men are without excuse. He has revealed Jesus Christ, the most important thing he has revealed to us. He has revealed Christ. He has revealed his son. Jesus did not remain in heaven waiting for us to reach him. That is a hopeless endeavor. The true and living God came to this earth to save those who are lost. Without Jesus Christ, we are lost, period. Until we are found in him, we will remain lost in our sin and in death. God has revealed the gospel of Christ to us, and it belongs to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law, that we may obey Christ, that we may be witnesses to him. Many today seem to be obsessed with the return of Jesus and our escape from this world. 
we would be much better served and we would serve the Lord much better if we were committed to the gospel of Christ and seeing his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There is no escaping this world. We were put in this world, even though in Christ we are not of this world. We are put in this world to give witness to Jesus Christ. He alone is the way, the truth, and the life. If we know him, we know what is most important. In the midst of all your unanswered questions, if you know Jesus, you know what is most important. If we know him, we can be assured we have his life. Focus on Jesus. Know Jesus because Jesus is the answer. And then verse 8, Jesus tells his disciples, he assures them, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me. We give witness and work, not in our own power, but in his power. He has given us his spirit that empowers us to proclaim his name and see his kingdom come. His will should be our focus. Doing his will on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth. That should be our focus. And when it is. We will see God heal our land. And bring the true peace. So many claim they want. You realize that many claim they want peace. But they are unwilling to seek his peace. Many want peace. But they reject Christ. And yet the scripture says he himself, Christ himself, is our peace. Therefore, peace can never be found apart from Jesus. Governors can say churches are not essential, but the scripture says otherwise. Christians can say, in ridicule of a president, the church is not essential. I would question that Christianity. I would question that belief. Because if you say the church is not essential, then you don't understand what the church is. You don't understand who the church is. And if you don't understand what and who the church is, you do not know who Christ is. And if you don't know who Christ is, you're dead in your sin and lost still and need to be found by his grace and his mercy. You better believe the church is essential. The world depends upon the work of the church. The wait is over. The spirit has been poured out. The work is begun and the work must continue. The church is absolutely essential in this world because apart from the church and the message of the church and the message of the gospel, we are lost. Our nation is lost. You go ahead and put your trust in political parties and politicians you better put your trust in Jesus. You better look to Jesus. We better as the church begin to repent because of the sinfulness of this nation. Because we have Christians in this nation, leaders of churches, leaders of others in the church saying the church is not essential. 
If that's not an indication of the corruption of our heart, of the plague of our own heart, then I don't know what is. The same power from on high that filled the early church fills the church today. Jesus commands that we be endued with power from on high. Remember, being filled with the Spirit is not about an experience. Please understand this. It is about a lifestyle. Being filled with the Spirit is daily living your life under the Spirit's power and control. Being filled with the Spirit is about living your life to glorify God. It is loving Him and therefore obeying Him. We do not like what the word, that word obey. We don't like that word. We don't like to use that word. We don't like to mention it, especially in the church, because it turns people off. I'm not going to go to that church, you know, to talk about obeying God and obeying the Bible. And, you know, I just think God is love and grace, and I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, and He's going to save me, anyways. Love me anyways, because that's who he is. Will you keep believing that and see how it works out for you when you stand before him in judgment? And no one will ever be able to say, I didn't tell you so. I'm not going to say I didn't tell you I told you so. God commands obedience. It's a lifestyle that leads to his blessing. His love and peace and joy is bound up in obedience to his word and to his spirit. There is no obedience apart from the Spirit of God, empowering us to obey. God is not some hard taskmaster cracking the whip of obedience. No, God is merciful, giving us the grace to obey. Obedience is for our good and for his glory. Just like the disciples watching Jesus ascend into heaven, we are called to be witnesses to him today. Our witness to Christ cannot be seen apart from our obedience. What blessing obedience to God brings to our life and what curse and what destruction disobedience to God brings to our life. As God said to his children, I set before you this lie, this day, life and death. Choose life. Choose life. Choose to obey. Jerusalem for us means we start looking into our own heart. We are quick to point out the faults of others But the kingdom begins in our own heart. Set your own Jerusalem right first. If we say we love God, then we also must love our brother. And we will take this love and take this gospel to them. The gospel is the ministry of reconciliation given to us as God reconciled all things to himself in Jesus Christ. Cry out to Jesus and experience his reconciliation. Be at peace with God. Be at peace with yourself. Be at peace with those around you. And that peace begins in your own heart through the salvation that must come by grace through faith in Jesus. When our heart is right with God, it will be right with others. You can cry out to him right now, right now. Anyone can, at any place, at any time. Your heart can be made new and you can be made right with God. This is the grace and the power of God. This is the salvation of God for the world. As we live in its power, let us give witness to Christ. Christ, the name above all names. Christ, the only hope we have. Amen. The wait is over. The work is begun. May we carry it on.
I want to invite you to prepare to come to the table of the Lord. We are the people of God invited to the table of the Lord. We are his body. And this is what it means to discern the body, as Paul teaches us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We are the body. What we're discerning is not bread on a plate, bread in our hand. It's it's the diversity, it's the reality of each one who has Christ living in them. We are to consider one another in the love of Christ. As Christ was rejected, we too may be rejected by men, but we will never be rejected by God. For he has saved us by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, and he has made us his own. You belong to Jesus, you are not your own. This table declares that reality. His body broken for you, his blood poured out for you. You are redeemed. So redeemed, come to the table of the Lord. Thank him for that redemption. Thank him that you are not your own anymore, but you belong to him. Christian, welcome to Jesus. Praise God. Let's all stand. We're not waiting any longer before we work. The wait in that sense is over. The promise of the Father has come. The Holy Spirit has been poured out on all flesh. No longer only prophet, priest, and king, but now on all and all who call upon his name. The Holy Spirit has now been poured out. We are no longer waiting. Now is the time to work, to go, to make disciples to disciple the nations. We start in our own Jerusalem, in our own hearts, in our immediate families, in our circle of family and friends and acquaintances. And from there we move out however far God allows. But we don't stop. We are no longer waiting and the work must continue. We have been commanded to go and to do the work of seeing his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we will do this until Jesus returns. That's our challenge. That's our charge. That's our commission. We do this even when man commands us to stop. We do this even when it's not convenient. We do this even when it seems most impractical. We do this because God has commanded us. So church... That's your charge. That's your commission. That's who we are. So may we go. May we disciple the nations. But start right where you are. Start with yourself and move out and be a witness to Christ. Amen. I also want to, uh, I, I'm thinking about the Mercados. They've been here all week. They're just like, I don't know, they're like family, you know. I don't know what they're waiting on. I don't know why they haven't just moved down here and become part of the family are you all leaving today? They're leaving today, unfortunately. So we want to pray also uh, for a safe trip for them and uh, thankful for the time they got to spend with us. So be blessed. Go in his peace and go in his safety. Amen.